As Russ said, my name is Sam. I'm part of the congregation here at CityGate. And it is my privilege this morning to bring some teaching from the Bible. And we here at CityGate are in a series looking at the kingdom of God. And within that series, we're in a section of that series where we are currently considering kingdom power. How does God demonstrate his power in different ways, at different times, and through different people? And this morning, I am genuinely so excited when I saw the rotor and what I get to preach on this morning. Super excited because this morning, we are considering the power of salvation. The power of salvation, what an amazing topic for us today. Or more specifically, as you'll see in the text we read in a second, the power of the gospel which brings about our, our salvation. And I'm so excited for this because actually salvation is fundamental to everything we believe, fundamental to everything that we are as Christians. And so it's great to be able to dig into that this morning and unpack that and remind ourselves of what God has for us. Friends, we need to pray. We need to pray because we don't want just a lecture this morning, do we? We want to meet with God, and we want God's power to be here. However many fancy good words that I have, which is very few. (laughs) However many brilliant illustrations and anecdotes I have, which is less than you might hope for. Whatever I share this morning, do you know what? Actually, it means nothing if God's power is not with us. And so don't just listen to me pray. Let's pray together. Let's, let's pray together, shall we? King Jesus, King Jesus, we ask, would you come and would you be with us this morning? We thank you, you are. We pray for your power to be here this morning. We pray for your power to be here this morning. I pray that you would shape us, that you would change us. I ask you, King Jesus, that you would transform us. Each and every one of us, I pray that we would not leave here in the same state that we arrived, but that we would be transformed and changed to be more like you for the glory and the honor of your awesome name, Jesus. We pray this. Amen. Amen. Why don't you grab your Bibles? I know you bring your Bibles to church because that's a good thing to do, right? Yes, Sam. Yes, we do. So grab them then and turn with me to Romans. We're going to be camping out in Romans this morning. We'll be um, making forays to some other books of the Bible as well, but we're, we're going to be in Romans, at least to start with, and in Romans chapter 1. So find, find Romans chapter 1. Now, Romans is a book of the Bible which was originally a letter, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in, surprise, Rome, hence the name Romans. And perhaps more of all the letters in the New Testament, uh, the book of Romans speaks most clearly or most fully about salvation and about the gospel, which is why we are heading there this morning. And so in Romans chapter 1, and we're going to pick it up in verse 16, we read this. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. What a great passage, eh? Notice with me, if you will, this. 
Paul says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation, for salvation. Notice he doesn't say the power of God for conversion. Sometimes when we think of the gospel, we think, oh yeah, the gospel, that's what I needed to be converted. I've done that. Paul doesn't say conversion. Paul says it's the power of the gospel for for salvation. Now, when Paul speaks of salvation in the New Testament, he can speak of it in three different tenses. Sometimes when Paul speaks of salvation, he speaks in the past tense. We have been saved. That is our conversion when we come to Christ. Sometimes when Paul speaks of our salvation, he speaks of it in the present tense. We are being saved. That is our sanctification. That is we are being made more like Jesus by the power of the Spirit at work in us. And sometimes when Paul speaks about salvation, he speaks about it in the future tense. That is that we will one day be saved. That is the final climax of our salvation when we are in glory with Christ Jesus. Paul sees salvation as this all-encompassing thing right through conversion, through our sanctification to a final place with God. The question is, what version is Paul speaking of here in this verse? I would suggest to you that whichever one you choose, it's not number one. It's not conversion. Why do I say that? Notice, Paul says this. He says that the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to who? To unbelievers? No. It's the power of God that brings salvation to those who believe. Friends, if you're a Christian here this morning, you need to know that the gospel is not something you did back in 1999. The gospel is God's power for your salvation today. It is God's power for you and for your life today. And so as we look at this this morning, don't think that this is something that happened before. Know that this is something for us today, here and now. Is that right? Now, just to say, if you are not a Christian here this morning, although Paul in this particular passage is highlighting that salvation is for those who believe, it is absolutely true, and we can see elsewhere in Scripture, that that the gospel is the power of salvation for conversion. If you're not a Christian here this morning, I want you to know, and we'll talk about this in a bit, but I want to give you a heads up. I want you to know that the gospel is the power of God for your life to be transformed and to change and for your life to become that which God always wanted it to be. And we'll chat more about that later, but please know that. The gospel is the power for salvation. So what is salvation then? That will be, excuse me, what is the gospel then? That would be a a reasonable question to ask at this point, isn't it? This gospel which is power for us, what is that gospel? Paul says that the gospel is the power of God. The gospel starts with God. Very often in our church in the West, we we have often quite a self-centric view of Christianity, don't we? We often at the center of the gospel, the gospel is about me, my needs. God came and met my needs. God set me free from my sin And those things are true, absolutely true. Those things are true. But actually, the gospel is not primarily about you. I'm sorry to disappoint some of you guys. It's not. The gospel is not primarily about you and me. The gospel is primarily about God and his glory. The gospel starts with God. The gospel ends with God. And so as we consider what is the gospel, let us start there. Let's start with God. Who is this God? 
Well, there's a, there's a question, right? There's a, we could be here all week for that. And um, I know that you guys come to the nine o'clock not so you can have an extra strong message, but so you can get home for lunch. I realize that. So we are, we are not going to dig too deeply into who it is God. But I just want to highlight or remind us of three attributes of God which are pertinent for us this morning. The first is, is this. God is sovereign. Who is God? God is sovereign. What does that mean? That means that God is in charge. God's in charge of all things. It means that there is nothing that happens which is outside of God's control. God is in authority. There is no authority in heaven or on earth or under the earth which is superior to God. There is no king, there is no ruler, there is, uh, there is no president, there is no parliament, there is no dictator, there is no boss, there is no one whose authority is greater than the authority of God. Amen? In Psalm 113, the psalmist writes something of this. Uh, he writes this, he says, The Lord is exalted over the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops, down on hev- who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? God is enthroned on high. He is awesome. He is beyond imagining and he is sovereign. I could get carried away. I'm going to try not to. We'll leave that there for now. God is is sovereign, number one. The second thing I want us to be reminded of this morning as we consider the gospel is this, that God is a God of love. God is sovereign. God is also a God of love. God has been in loving, harmonious relationship within the Trinity for eternity past. And God in his love extends that love to us and says, I want to extend that love to you so that you can be welcomed into relationship as well. God is a God who loves us. Says it in loads of places, right? Perhaps one of the most famous, John chapter 4 and verse 16 says this, and so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. We know God loves us. God is love. God is love. God loves you. You need to know that this morning. And you need to know this morning as well that sometimes when we think about God as a God of love, we think, oh, Jesus, that's Jesus is the God of love. And God the Father, he's the grumpy guy, right? (laughs) You need to know this morning that actually that's not the case, that God the Father loves you. God the Father delights in you. He sings over you in love, the Bible says. He says in Ephesians chapter 1 that God the Father chose us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world to be adopted in love. The Father set his love on you before he put the stars in the sky. Jesus says that he is the perfect revelation of the Father. He says, you want to see what the Father's like? Look at me. So if we see Jesus loving us, Jesus is reflecting and showing us the Father's love. God is is a God God of love. God is sovereign. He's above all things. God is a God of love. He extends that love to us. And the third thing I want us just to be reminded of this morning as we consider the gospel is that God is righteous. God is righteous. What does that mean? 
God is righteous means that he's perfect. Everything that God does is 100% perfect, the best it could be. Everything that God does is right and good. There is no sin. There is no marring. There is no half measures with God. He is righteous. He's perfect and he's holy. We can see something of that in uh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 34. Excuse me, 32. Deuteronomy 32 and um, verse 4 says, He, that's God, is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. Our God, friends, is a faithful God who does no wrong. He's perfect. He's holy. He's righteous. Notice here in Deuteronomy 32 that the writer links God's righteousness with his justice, right? He does no wrong, he is just. That's important because actually as a righteous God, God hates sin. God is angry towards sin and and God brings judgment on sin because it is against who he is. And so God's righteousness and God's justice go hand in hand. Just hold on to that because that will be important momentarily. So this is our awesome God. The gospel, what is the gospel? It starts with this God who is beyond our imagining. Our God who is sovereign, who is in charge, who is above all things. A God who is a God of love and extends that love to us. A God who is a righteous God, who is totally perfect and holy in all of his ways. This is where the gospel starts. But God is not the only person who is involved in this gospel story. We are as well. But perhaps not in the way you might hope for. That is who God is. Let us consider then mankind, human beings, men and women, you and I. I want to start this bit by asking perhaps a provocative question. Are we, human beings, are we inherently good or are we inherently evil? Oh, I've caught some of you there like, don't know. Is that a trick question? I suspect if you were to ask the majority of people in Bournemouth Town Centre, if you went and asked, hey, that same question, I suspect most people would answer something like this, that people are generally good, but sometimes we do bad things. I've heard that. I imagine you've heard that sort of thing as well. Unfortunately for us, that's different to what the Bible says. That's different to what the Bible says. The Bible tells us that we were made good. That in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, when God creates Adam and Eve, it says he made us, he made human beings in his image. And then it says God looked at what he had made and declared that it was very good. God made mankind good, but Adam rebelled. Adam sinned in the garden. God put Adam in a perfect garden with one rule and he said, enjoy this paradise except don't eat the fruit from that tree. And Adam said, screw you, God. Some of you are shocked at my language. But that is nothing to compare with what God felt in that moment. Adam said, screw you, God. I don't need you. I don't need your rules. 
I've got a better idea. And Adam went and ate the fruit from the tree. And in that moment, sin came into the world and sin came into Adam and the nature of mankind changed. The nature of mankind changed. And we as all descendants of Adam inherit what Adam did. Adam's nature changed from being good to being evil. And we inherit that. It's like, it's like Adam poisoned the well, if you like, that we all drink from. And so we all drink the poisoned water. If you want the, the, the big fancy word for this, Adam is our federal head, for those of you who like fancy words. What's a federal head, for those of you who don't? A federal head is someone who makes decisions on behalf of other people. If you live in a monarchy somewhere where there's a king in charge and the king says, we as a nation, we are going to war with that nation over there. Guess what? You are at war because your king has decided that. He's your federal head. He's just made that decision for you. Okay? Adam is our federal head. What Adam's decision does is it affects all of us. Now, you might say, well, that's not fair. I didn't vote for Adam. How is he our federal head? Who chose Adam for that purpose? Well, the person who chose Adam for that purpose is God. And God, as we just saw, is righteous and just. He's sovereign. He knows all things. And friends, he chose a perfect federal head for us. God knew and placed Adam knowing that Adam would perfectly represent us. And let's be honest, we all choose sin. If you or I were in the garden, we would have chosen the same. How do I know that? Because we do every single day. We are sinful people and we inherit that sin nature from Adam. Paul says, back to Romans, Paul says something of this. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, he says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this, this way, death came to all people because all sinned. All sinned. We know that to be true. We are broken, sinful people who get it wrong regularly. We do. Every day. And this, friends, is a problem. Because as we just saw, God is holy and righteous and just. And we are not. What is God's response to sin? God's response to sin, let's go back to Romans chapter 1 and we'll carry on picking up from where we left off verse 18. God's response to sin is this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. What's God's response to sin? Wrath. God is furious with sin. Chapter 2, verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Verse 8. But those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Friends, if I asked you, 
What does the gospel save us from? I wonder what you might say. You might say something like, the gospel saves us from sin. The gospel saves us from our bad choices. The gospel saves us from broken relationship with God. And all of those things are absolutely true. The gospel saves us from all of those things. But in Romans, Paul says our biggest need for the gospel is that we, as unrighteous people before a righteous God, face God's righteous judgment and his wrath. God hates sin. We could not overstate how serious sin is before God. We could not overstate how abhorrent sin is to God. Perhaps what I believe is perhaps one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture, Genesis chapter 6, says this, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. God regretted that he made people because of our sin. Sin is so much more serious than we realize, friends. I believe that sometimes we shy away from this idea of God's wrath because we view it through the filter of our experience of people who have been angry with us. Perhaps you've had an angry parent or an angry boss. You need to know that that God's wrath is is not like human anger. God's wrath is, is holy. God's wrath is just. God's wrath is not petty and vindictive. God's wrath is always consistent. But it's there, friends. I think sometimes in our Western church, we can treat the wrath of God like the Victorians treated sex. The Victorians knew about sex. Did you know that? They did. I mean, those of you who are English here, you'll be glad of that, right? <laughs> they knew about sex. They reproduced, but, but it was a bit of a taboo. No one wanted to talk about sex. We can be the same in the church that actually we don't really want to talk about the wrath of God, the anger of God towards, towards sin. We know it's there, but we just shh, don't, don't mention it. We'd much rather consider God's love, and and rightly so. Just let's be clear, rightly so. Do you know what? God's wrath is not a permanent attribute of God like his love is. It's it's not. It's It's a response to our sin. So absolutely, we should focus on the love of God. But I would suggest to you this morning that actually, to fully understand the love of God, we must first understand how furious God is with sin. Actually, the love of God is brought into sharp focus when we recognize the seriousness of sin in the story of the gospel. We need to be aware of this, friends. God, what's this gospel? God starts with God. He's holy and righteous and sovereign, but also a God of love. He involves us, we who are unrighteous and fully and rightly deserving of the wrath of God for us. 
What's the solution? What's the gospel then? How is this going to get worked out? Well, friends, well. Oh, this is the good bit. You ready? That's good. All right. So, how does this happen? Romans chapter 5 and verse 9 says this. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more will be, will be saved from the wrath of God through him? Our problem, Romans says, is that we are fallen, sinful people facing the wrath of God. Then in Romans chapter 5 and verse 9, it says that God saved us from his wrath. How? Through Jesus. Through Jesus. This is good news for us, friends. This is good news. Right. Let's read. Where are we going to pick it up from? There's so many good verses. Right. Let's read from Romans chapter 5. And we'll pick it up at verse 6. This is the good news for us, friends. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved through his life? Not only this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Isn't this good news, friends? Isn't this Awesome. Back in Romans chapter 1, it said that the gospel is the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes. For, verse 17, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is from faith to last. The gospel says this, that God is a God of love who loves us, but in his love, he can't just ignore our sin. God's love can't just ignore us in because it would deny who he is. And God is perfect and God is holy and God is righteous. And so God in his love needs to somehow make us righteous. Somehow make us righteous so that he can, we can be welcomed into his loving presence so that we can be made one with him and united with him. How does he do that? Well, he says you can't be righteous. You can't make yourself righteous. Lots of people think, man, what are you talking about sin for? There's loads of people who do good things, aren't there? What about nurses? What about doctors? What about people who help with disabled kids? Well, absolutely, there are people who do good things on this earth. Absolutely right. But it is not that we are inherently good who do a few bad things. No, the Bible says that we are inherently bad and we sometimes do some good things. And even the good things we do doesn't transform the rebellion in our hearts towards God. And so God says, you need a righteousness, a righteousness that you can't work out yourself, a righteousness that you can't bring in and of yourself, a righteousness that can only come from him. And so he gives us his righteousness. Right, how does this work? I'm going to need some help. Russ, come up here. Pete, can you come up? This is a surprise. This is good fun, right? Well done, guys. Round of applause. Come on. Round of applause for these guys. Right, here we go. Here we go. Let's pop that down. 
Oh, right, could you pop that on for me, Pete? Could you pop that on for me over your heads if it fits? I didn't measure. Oh, other way around. Sorry. Here we go. Right, Russ here. Russ is going to represent for us mankind. Okay? Russ is going to represent for us mankind. And we, as we've just seen, we all sin. We all screw it up. We all get things wrong. We lie. We cheat. Oh. We all rebel against God. We, I'll tell you what, I want to be clear about this next one I'm writing. This is not a reflection on Russell. Okay? <laughs> this next one is not a reflection on Russell. This Russell is representing the entire human race right now. Okay? We murder. We do. We abuse. We do. Let's be real about these things. This is the things that we do. This is the things that we do. And this is what we are like. And God's wrath is headed for us. God's wrath is headed for us because of these things. And rightly so. Remember, he's perfect. Everything he does is right and perfect. And there's no escaping that. But God still wants to be in relationship with us. God wants to extend love to us. God wants to welcome us into his community. And so he came up with a plan. He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus. Now again, in the same way as Russell is not the entire human race, so Pete is not Jesus. Let's just be clear. Let's, before I get struck off the preaching rotor, this is not Jesus, this is Pete, but he's representing Jesus for us. Jesus came. Jesus came and was born as a man and he lived a life like you and me. And like you and me, he was tempted to sin. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are and yet he navigated life without any sin. Without any sin. And at the end of Jesus' life on earth, he died on a cross. He died on a cross. And in that moment as Jesus died, what happens is this. Russell, thank you. Jesus takes our sin and puts it on himself. The wrath of God that was heading for us because of our sin is diverted to Christ. If you are one of those two people in the room who like the fancy words, this is propitiation. The wrath of God diverted to Christ. In 2 Corinthians it says, He who knew no sin became sin. He became the worst of us. He became the worst of you. He became the worst of me so that he would take our sin on himself. Isn't that good news? But the good news doesn't stop there, friends. Because not only did Jesus, excuse me, Pete, watch your glasses. Not only did Jesus take our sin on himself, he transferred his righteousness, his perfect life, transferred 
Oh, and broke. No, it didn't. It didn't broke. You can hold it, Russ. Transferred to us. It's one thing to have our sins forgiven. It's something else entirely to have the righteousness of Christ credited to our account, right? It's incredible. The Bible says that we are hidden with Christ in God. When God the Father looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Why? Because at the cross, Jesus took our sin on himself and the wrath of God is poured out on Jesus. Friends, let's not minimize the idea of the cross. Let's not think of the cross as a twee idea, a nice idea. Look at Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus pleads with his father, if there is any other way, may this cup not come to me. In the context, it seems clear that the cup that is referenced is the cup of God's wrath. Jesus takes our sin and God's wrath on himself and gives us his righteousness so that we can be free, so that we can live in the good of what Christ has done. Isn't that good news? Friends, thank you. Go, go, go grab your seats. That's great. Oh, yours broke too. <laughs> Friends, this is wonderful news. This is wonderful news. The gospel is so much better. Can you see how understanding something of God's wrath is important in understanding his grace? Can you see how understanding something of God's anger towards sin is important in seeing the vastness of his love, that he would take that on himself so that we can be saved? Amen? How are we going to close? Gosh, I'm, I didn't even look at the time and I should have done. Right, how are we going to close? We started by saying that the gospel is the power of God. Is the power of God. How is this power? Friends, for some of you here this morning, maybe you're not Christians. Maybe you don't know, didn't know this. Maybe you thought that you could come to God by doing more good than bad. You need to know this morning that there is a God in heaven who loves you and who wants to make you righteous before him, who wants to give you a clean slate and a fresh start. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel dirty. You know you've screwed it up. You know you've done wrong. You need to know that you can be cleansed. You can have that sin removed from you and dealt with by Jesus. How do you do that? Well, in Romans chapter one, it says the righteous will live by faith. You don't have to do anything fancy. You don't have to say special prayers. You don't have to do special things. You need to be in faith. Put your hope and your trust in Jesus. Turn away from your sin and follow him. If that's you this morning, Man, do you know what? I'm going to give a chance. Why not? Do you know what? Well, let's close our eyes. Let's close our eyes. If you're here this morning and you're saying, I want to receive this. I want to receive the righteousness of Christ. I know I'm dirty. I need God's righteousness. I just want you to be brave and, and raise your hand. Everyone's looking at me and they have their eyes closed as well so no one else can see. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well done. Thank you. Well done. Friends, we're going to pray. If you've just raised your hands, we're going to pray. Because do you know what? 
It starts with a step of faith as you put your hope in Jesus. As you put your trust in Jesus. And I'm going to give you a heads up as to what we're going to pray because you need to know in case you change your mind. The Bible says count the cost. We're going to pray and say, God, we're sorry for what we have done. We repent of our sin and I want to turn away and I want to follow you and I want to live in righteousness. I'm sorry for my sin and I receive your forgiveness. That's what we're going to pray. If you want to pray that and you raised your hand just now, or even if you didn't and you want to pray that, you pray that with me. You can say these words in your heart as I pray them. King Jesus, I am sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for my rebellion. I'm sorry for the things I've done which go against you. Would you forgive me? Thank you that you died to take my sin, to take the punishment that was rightly mine. I receive that forgiveness now and I choose to live in a new way. I choose to live and follow you, Jesus. I choose to leave my old life behind and to pursue you. I receive your forgiveness. Make me a new creation. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, if you raised your hand, I would love to speak to you, Russ, any of the band members. If you came with someone, chat to someone. Don't leave here without speaking to someone. But friends, we said right at the beginning, the gospel is not only the power of God for conversion, but for salvation for those of us who are already believers. Friends, it is this gospel which empowers us to live the life that Christ calls us to. It empowers us to live for God. How can we look at a gospel like this and go on sinning? How can we look at a gospel like this and not pursue God with everything that we have as God has pursued us? It is the gospel that empowers us to make choices day by day by day to follow Him. Let me ask you this. Do you daily remind yourself of the gospel? Do you daily feast on the good news of Jesus Christ? Do you allow it to empower you and empower your life and empower your witness? And friends, on one day, in one glorious day, Jesus will return and all sin will be finally vanquished and dealt with. And you and I, friends, are gonna reign with Christ in glory. We are gonna find the fullness of our salvation in Him. And this incredible gospel is the power of God which brings about the fullness of our salvation. And so friends, right now I can tell you this, there is a party in heaven. How do I know that? Because the Bible says that when people turn to God, as people have this morning, the angels celebrate and throw a party. Friends, we have something to celebrate this morning, right? We can celebrate people turning to Christ and we can celebrate what we have in Christ. Shall we stand? Shall we stand and shall we sing and shall we celebrate and worship our awesome, awesome Saviour?